The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to the Makers of Minnesota, and we are on episode number 87. If you know of someone in the Twin Cities or the state of Minnesota that's making something cool, let us know. We love to talk to people, entrepreneurs doing cool things, whether it's a service, whether it's an app or an actual product or food products I always love. Make sure that you let us know what you're doing, and we will consider featuring you on the program. Um, today, we have the folks from Local Crate. We have Mike Stahlbaum and Frank Jackman. And Frank, I was saying, I think you and I had met about two and a half years ago on my radio show, Weekly Dish, when the whole idea of a prepared meal kit first came about. Tell me about how you guys met and how you decided to create Local Crate. Yeah, so Mike and I both worked at the Swan Food Company together, and Mike was a corporate chef and I was a marketing manager. And uh, we were kind of looking for what our next step was. Yep. Um, so then that's when meal kits came along. We uh, Blue Apron and Plated were launched at that time. We thought it was an interesting idea. Was it, Blue Apron like the first? Uh, Hello Fresh was actually overseas. Okay. And there was actually a, a small company, I can't remember their name, but they're from Sweden, I believe, that launched the meal kit concept. It's okay. a very Swedish name. Yeah. But... I wouldn't be able to Should pronounce it. Yeah. 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 It's pretty <laughs> close to like that. that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Hello Fresh is actually a worldwide company, if you will. Um, that is now here in the United States, too. Yep. All right. So you had seen this concept, and you're a marketing guy. Tell me about like the first time you sat down over a beer and thought, oh, we can do this better. What was it that you thought you could do? Yeah, definitely. So the models at its core are different, is that the national players centralize their models and take fresh food to one location and then ship it out from there. Our idea was, well, we could now decentralize, is that we could source local food as much as possible in each region and then ship it out directly back to that region. So less shipping, less packaging, um, fresher product. Um, and then that gave us the side of, well, what else can we do? It's Well, then you could tap into the chefs, if you will, or the restaurants and create an experience. Did that idea of tapping into chefs, Mike, I'll ask you, since you were the corporate chef, once you started thinking about local, did the chef piece come naturally with that? Um, it was definitely something that we put together and, and thought, man, this would be really awesome to incorporate into the program. But uh, it was not easy for us to get chefs on board at first. I was going to ask you um, about that. Yeah, we had to. We actually used a couple local people that were really instrumental in getting some our, some of our initial chefs on board. Um, since then, it's been a lot easier, and we've had a lot of support uh, because we work with them and they work with us, and we're we're kind of co-promoting each other's products. And so, is it hard? Like, I have I recently cooked one of your meals actually for another segment that I'm working on. Thank you. And yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I cooked um, Gavin Kaysen's chicken oh, legs with pomegranate juice that we braised. And shout out to Gavin. Yeah, <laughs> Gavin's pretty great. He, he actually, I Instagram storied it, and he was like, "How you doing?" <laughs> That's awesome. So, tell me about. Um, 
was it why was it hard to get the chefs because they're just not used to cooking in a home environment or breaking down their ingredients in that way or they just were like who are these people what is this yeah i think Mm -hmm. it was a bit of both it was a little foreign to them and they were like i'm super busy what do you guys want yeah what are you you doing yeah Mm um but it's it's they've been very excited about it um they really like doing the videos and the and the interviews with us, um, and they really like talking about their story, sure, and their local story because a lot of these chefs are already purchasing local ingredients because it's important to their customer. They're already setting the local trends that we're looking for. How do you take a Gavin Kaysen recipe and make it so that I can cook it in my home? Is he doing that, or are you giving him coaching as the corporate chef about like, hey, this ingredient's maybe a little too weird? Yeah, it's a collaboration f- for sure. You know, he tells us what he wants to use and lays out the basic steps, and then we kind of mold it into something a home consumer. You know, Do you have to dumb it cook? down? I mean, I would think. Not necessarily dumb it down, but we've worked with our home consumers now for two years, yeah. so we kind of know what what works for the normal home consumer. Do you have a like um, home consumer test group? Yes and no, right? Uh, we're still very original small. Customers. <laughs> yeah, original yeah. customers. Yeah. Um, but we do come out with 12 new recipes every week, so we can't test every single one. That's so many. But, yes, but we have a lot of learnings throughout the time. So if you're coming out with 12 recipes every week, at this point you have like over 200 recipes, right? Yeah, for sure. I I wouldn't even know the number off the top of my head, but yeah. Is that important to this business to have variety? Absolutely. Yeah, we we believe variety is a big driver of this. Is that consumers get to experience something new every week, or sometimes get to re? We do put some new ones or some old ones as customer favorites back yeah. that they could then reorder. But it's it's a new experience for them. And we also have to focus heavily on seasonality, so mm-hmm. we have to recreate for each season as the seasons come up. That makes sense because you're doing local food. And as we find more vendors like new farmers that are doing cool new stuff, we'll try to pull in their cool new products. I was going to ask you about that because another person that I've worked with is Salad Girl. And I think um, at one point, was it Urban Roots maybe that you guys used their salad and she's partnered with them. So when you have a producer that has like special greens or chickens or anything, does the meal get then driven around that too as much as the chef experience? Yeah, Both. Yeah. And I mean, on my side, we're, we're definitely looking at, all right, here are all of our vendors and this is what they're producing for this coming summer. You know, what ingredients are we going to pull and use heavily? And like, what does that menu look like? And we are building out, you know, three to four months at a time. So outside of the national distribution piece and you're using local ingredients, are there other differences between you as a local company, local crate, and like a HelloFresh or a Blue Apron? Yeah, so we ship same day, so it's a fresher product okay. um, compared to two to three days of the national players, which allows us to use 80% less packaging. Um, so that that's a huge piece because you're receiving these boxes from Blue Apron or HelloFresh every week that has around 17 pounds of packaging. I was going to ask you about that, and I'm glad you brought it up because I I have just cooked six different prepared meals that have come to me in different forms. And it got to me, the packaging. I didn't like that everything was so heavily packaged. I just felt like, wow. And, and the local ones that I got, I did notice like there was just an onion and that onion wasn't in a hermetically sealed bag. I liked that. It made it feel like I wasn't, you know, didn't come from New York. Yeah. And just like polluting the environment so much, really. And I'm not, 
I mean, I try to do my part, but I'm not mm-hmm. super crazy. Mm-hmm. But it was bugging me, so I thought, wow, if you're if that's higher, if you're higher, more sensitive than I am, yeah. this is going to bug you. Yeah, and then we really try to tell the story of the farmers or the chefs too, so that it really connects you back to the food and you know where that food's coming from, and you're able to uh, have a, a emotional attachment to that a little bit yeah. deeper. So you go online and do most people, like, how do they order? Like, what is the traditional customer ordering? How often are they ordering? Yeah. So right now you go online until Thursday night at 9 p.m. And then the ordering shuts off. But up until that time, you could order whenever you would like. Change your order. um, Pause, skip, or cancel. And then that order gets delivered on that following Monday. And so are most people ordering like one meal a week? The Do you minimum. have like some high P1s that are like every yeah. day? <laughs> yeah, it depends. Um, we have some families. We have some individuals. But um, you could order the minimum is two meals at two servings each. And then you could order as much as you would like. Um, and that's another thing that's different than the another national benefit. players is that our minimum is only two compared to three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because. I don't have to ship it as far. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um how much are your meals averaging, and is price important to your consumer? I mean, price is always important, right? Um, I think when it comes to local food and that experience side, there's a little bit more leeway there. Yeah. Um, but within our model, we're able to provide a quality product at a similar price of the national players because, again, we're not spending all that money on packaging or shipping, right? Yeah. Um, so our product um, after three meals is $12 a servings. Serving before that is thirteen fifty. Do you find that your customer has also ordered from like uh I'm just going to use Blue Apron and HelloFresh as the opposite. Sorry, have they also ordered from them so they understand the differences for you, or how much time do you have to spend educating them on what that difference is? Yeah, that was the nice part. As we started, you know, there was there was some education on our part that had to go into it, but a lot of our customers come from the national competitors and they've already been educated and they find all of the benefits that we offer. Um, so it's really nice that they're educating and then we're stealing their customers. We have the benefit of having you in Minnesota. So when we say local crate, it means like you're right in our backyard, but is local crate a concept that you could take to like a Chicago market or a mm-hmm. California market and do the same thing with your model? Yeah, definitely. That's that's our idea at the end of the day is we want to become the first nationally local food company in America. Which right? is an oxymoron, but yes. totally doable, you would think. Right. It's uh, decentralizing the food system. We believe with technology, transportation, and just efficiencies overall, um, and local food systems growing in every major city, that we can now, and it is efficient, and it is um, a profitable model for you to move forward with, and it helps support that local economy. So that's something we're very excited to explore here very shortly. Okay, so some brass tax questions for you gentlemen. You know, let's before you got to your first year in business, about how much money do you think you invested in your startup? And was it all your money? Or was it on credit cards or how did you get going? Yeah, friends, family, um, and then a Kickstarter. Oh, so um, you did a Kickstarter, and yeah, that we may did be a... why we talked to you originally. So yeah. I just actually listened to Carla Hall, who did a Kickstarter for her restaurant, talking about how it was an incredible disaster for her, and it was very eye-opening. Was your Kickstarter experience good for you? <laughs> uh, that's a great way to explain it, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, a great mentor of ours from the beginning, um, Birchwood Cafe, and uh, sitting down with her, and she did a very successful Kickstarter, right? 100000 yeah. plus. Um, she was said it's going to be an emotional roller coaster, and that's exactly what it was. Um, best way she explained it was, uh, you've, uh, I can't even remember what, 
Would you rather have a kid or do another Kickstarter? She oh, yeah. said, "I'd rather have a kid." Oh, right? Yeah. Wow. Um, so that was that was very interesting. But yes, the experience was um, amazing, but uh, also very very low. Why right? is it so taxing and so low? Why do people have such bad experiences? I think it could be. I mean, you put yourself out there for everyone to judge before you launch your product, before they can even experience it, right? And it's kind of the is all our hard work for something here or not, right? So, and you get a lot of support right away. And then about two weeks in, it just drops off. And then the last week, it just kicks right back up. And then you hit the it. Last day. Last day. <laughs> just and we actually had $1,000 from um, Johnny Walker, the whiskey company. Gave us $1,000 randomly for no reason, just didn't expect anything in return. They said that they liked what what we were doing. They thought that it was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, so you'll get yeah. stuff like that. Or yeah. like we had a doctor. From Virginia. Virginia, give us like 500 bucks, you know, stuff like that. And that was, that was, that was the coolest thing and the hardest thing was that we had a lot of support locally, which was really nice. Yeah. And then we had, um, we're a local product. We're not a national product, so we didn't have a national outreach. Right. So the people that did support us that were from other states, you know, it was really cool that they were doing that. But, you know, there were only a few of those. It was a, only a handful. So we really got a lot of support from Minnesota, which was awesome. Yeah. And then was there like the crush of I have to deliver these gifts now and like what the levels were and Yeah, that's something that we didn't realize from the very beginning, right? Yeah. We wanted to give everybody as much as we possibly could and ha- as many options and experiences. Then you have to fulfill all of it. Yeah, and right? a lot of people overgive. Yeah, plus you have to start running your business, you have to launch, right? So that was another taxing moment too. I was trying to get that all figured out and done. Um I think Kind of a fun story here is that our first launch date was Kickstarter yep. plus launching our business. Um, we had to fulfill both of them. Mike and I were up 36 hours straight in the kitchen. Um, and then we still missed that, is- that day of delivery. And then we wound up having to deliver that product the next day. Um, so it was uh, th- talk about taxing. Yeah, it was 36 hours and straight. That's not, in the an, kitchen. that's not an overestimation. It was no, there were some 36 tears there. hours straight. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> tears. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the interesting stories though about starting a business, right? Yeah. We were delivering the product ourselves for a year and a half. Yeah, Mike. At one point, it was negative twenty two degrees, and his heat was out in his car, and he wore a snowsuit and delivered the product. <laughs> right? Wow, a lot of crazy stories like that. I like to hear these stories. So, mm-hmm. you went from that to having what I would say for a local food company has just been an amazing. Uh, turnaround in that you went out and you got some venture capital money and you guys did extremely well. Do you want to talk about that experience? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, fortunately enough, we were able to raise a pre-seed round previously with some great angel investors. Um, Those angel investors really helped us and and helped uh, put that strategy together, what we could really do with this business. So to start there, did you, how did you know how to put that together? Did you work with a consultant? Did a business person Um, put it together? I guess, well, we went to Minnesota Cup. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay. Minnesota Cup helped greatly, especially from a, a networking standpoint. Yeah. We then met an individual named Brett Broll, who is now the managing director of the Techstars program at Cargill. Yes. So on the food side, so very deeply ingrained in the food world now. Yes. But um, he has been a great mentor for us. Um, and then uh, another individual by David Finch and uh, Kathy Rowland, different people like that from uh, Minnesota Cup. Yep. Um, from there, we went to the Techstars Lando Lakes program, 
which was a beta program, but tr- really helped redefine that and helped us look at what funding can look like and where we can go. And then fortunately enough, we we're able to get them into the Techstars Target retail program, which was huge. Yes. Um, you get funding with that. And um, I mean, there's 2,000 people that applied for that around the world um, and 10 got in, two from India, one from Belgium, Belgium. and then the rest from the United States. Um, so, And that meant your product was available for people to purchase in Target. That meant we had an opportunity to work with Target. So it was just the it, opportunity. It's opportunity. getting in, it, they, they were providing the opportunity to get in front of the right people and see what you can make of it. Wow. And okay. But 2000... Techstar still helps mold your business so you're ready to launch. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but Target's there available. So we actually developed our product um, with Target's great, amazing team, not in partnership, but help. Right. Yeah. And uh, we... did you already have a product at that point? Not if that's not a retail product. We had a direct to consumer product. Consumer and product. tell me how that's different. Yeah, different packaging. Uh, it's a two serving meal uh, in a retail style box, very colorful, and it's got the recipe card on the inside of the sleeve, and it's just really nicely placed. Uh, so on you the can shelf. just pick that up on the shelf instead of having to go online and order and make choices. It's just like today we have these three boxes, and these are our three recipes. Yep. Got yep. it. So five recipes on shelf that okay. you're able to go and pick up whenever you would like. Um, so we developed that in about eight weeks from concept to shelf. It was That was a roller coaster, a lot of fun. We tested it with Target and it went well. Um, hopefully some more great news to come on that. But we did get it into the Wedge and Linden Hills, which have been some great partners for us to truly understand the retail model. Yeah. Um, and we're going to be launching some new meals with them. Yeah. Uh, Chef Yia Vang. Um, we're going to do a char siu taco with him. And on the box, there's a link that you can go to to watch him cook it with an interview and like uh, step-by-step instructions. Neat. And also um, Tim McKee, mm-hmm. uh, which also really excited about, uh, is doing like a Spanish-style skewer. Um, and same thing, video and instructions uh, that the con- customer can go and watch. And Who makes the decision? Oh, I'm going to, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sort of all over the place. I was just going to say, like, who makes the decision whether something's easy or hard? Because your recipes yeah. are labeled. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard. I guess it, it is kind of hard for somebody who is is confident in what they're doing to label easy, medium, or hard. But I always go with um, how technical it is. Uh, how long it takes, and then how many, like, I know this seems weird, but how many pots and pans? No, that's not weird at all. So so if it's, you know, kind of a lot of pots and pans and it takes a long time and it's maybe it's a chef recipe that is technically harder, yep. it's going to get a hard, you know, or a medium at least. Yeah, I, uh, Gavin's recipe was a medium. And I think I'm a fairly proficient home chef. I did not, I thought it was harder than it looked. Okay, and I hung with it, but that was part of the story that I did, and I actually saved it, so I'll send it to you. It's like, okay, this is medium, but I'm like every time I baste, yeah. there's so much smoke in my kitchen, I'm about to start off the fire alarm. So just funny. That's um, great. So you work with Target, you get these boxes ready to go. So you went out and you got funding, and you got a lot of funding. Didn't you get like one point eight million dollars? Uh, one point four. Okay, sorry, yeah. splitting no, hairs no. there. <laughs> yes. Were you just tell me what that felt like? Like, how, did you know coaster. right away? <laughs> Is it like watching a ticker come in? Like, does somebody call you and say, "Well, no. boys, we got one point four million dollars," and you're I just wish. like, ah? 
I mean, you have to go out there and uh, convince people of your vision, of your product and what you could do with it, right? We're a meal kit today, but what can we be in the future? What are they truly investing in? Um, so that's what we went out with. And, you know, it's more than dollars. These, This is expertise that we're bringing on board. These are people that have expertise in the space and can really help us to that next level and uh, take Local Crate to the next level. And is the next level being able to go national with these local distribution models? Yes, opening it up into larger regions in, in the United States. Yes. Um, you hired a new CMO. Yes. Yeah. Erin Newkirk, who mm-hmm. I I love her because I, I'm on a, a advisory board with her. But she also, I was in the printing business and she had this company called Red Stamp that was really innovative and really a tech-driven way to produce printed cards that was very personalized and used digital variable data. And that was sort of our expertise at our company. And I've just always been a fan of her. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a good get. Yes. Yes. She, you know, come we do too. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, coming from General Mills and then having her own startup and understanding that culture and then moving on the larger level with Bright Health and doing fundraising there, which yep. was huge. Um, but, you know, Mike and I sat down with her the first time and, um, we hadn't felt better talking about our business with any other individual for probably the past six months. Oh. She saw exactly our vision and what we wanted to That's do with so the great. company. Um, so it was a it was a great fit. And we're very excited to have her on board. Yeah. Can Absolutely. I ask you some brass tacks questions about marketing? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people have good products, but they can't get them to market. Mm-hmm. You have a marketing background. Are you? How do you market this? Is it search engine yeah. optimization? Is it social media? How do people get the local crate bug? Yeah, I think at the very beginning, it's the connections that we develop, right? We have what we call as our recipe for success is the makers of the farmers and telling that story with the chef and then our hunger relief efforts. How do we pull all three of those together to tell the local story, not just um, the food? Right. Um, That's what we're trying to do and make that connection. Right. So then once you do that, we're able to create a craft a story off of that. Um, With us, it's uh, photos or videos. Videos are very big for us. Um, Videos can can be spending unless you find the right people and great people that are willing to help you out and uh, create these videos for social. Right. Um, From there, we put them on social and then um, we do do Facebook. Instagram has Mm -hmm. been huge for us. Um, and do you then, hire someone to do that, or did you do those yourselves? We did that ourselves from the very beginning. Now, um, with Aaron on board, we're looking at different solutions. Right? Yeah. Um, and then it's the partners that we work with. They then blast out that information, too. How much do you think, like, for a local person, it would be to produce a decent, like, Facebook video for an ad? Uh, I mean, at the very beginning, we did it with our phones, yeah. right? Yeah. We took photo. We took our recipe photos with uh, Mike's iPhone six, I think, four at uh, the time. Four, maybe yeah. when we first started. Um, it, and even for like local companies and and small businesses, like I think a lot of consumers like that grittiness to it. I was going to ask you if you think it's better to have like on your phone and do something in the video space than to do nothing. Yes, get people interested. See if there is interest there, right? Um, we don't want even today. We don't want our videos to be overproduced. Yeah, no we still want it to feel. We don't want to feel like a corporation. Yeah. Right. We want to feel gritty and like someone's actually doing this work. Uh, that's funny because I think that 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 appeals to me as a consumer, mm-hmm. and but as a producer of content myself, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is so crappy. Like I don't know. And then I'll put like some crappy thing out there and people are like, oh my God, that was great. Like, I love that when you did this and you're like, I can tell that you bite your fingernails. Like, yeah. great. So to that point, we actually had our culinary manager, Danny, 
one day just took her phone and shot an interview video with, I can't remember who the maker was, but I think Dumplin and Strain. Oh, I love that company. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, and it was just her video or her phone. And that garnished the most views that people like that the most. They were able to relate to it, I think. Right. Well, that's funny. I bet as a yeah. C, as a marketing person, I bet that surprised you. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great to see. Um, do you have a Facebook like audience that you've drilled down to like women, 25, 44, that's how much income, like, have you created a custom audience? Yeah, not so much on Facebook yet, but just kind of identifying our customers based off of surveys through our consumer. Um, yeah. So our consumer today, right now we focus on, um, non-families, if you will. We think the grocery store has kind of segmented out the um, non-families. So yep. singles or couples, it's very expensive to go to the grocery store and buy our recipe because yep. you're buying four or five servings of everything, right? So that's our main customer. Singles are um, uh, young adults that don't have kids that make the eating decision yet. That's a massive market that is very weird. Yeah. And I'll tell you, one of the things I've noticed, and we just were talking about this on our radio show, Weekly Dish, that there's this whole segment of single men that are between the ages of like 28 and 40. So they have enough money that they're not eating pizza anymore, but they're not really cooking. So they are sitting at bars and bar counters all over town You'll like Spoon and Stable on any given night. There's four of these guys, yeah. or like at Tilia. You know, are you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. and they have an interest in food, and they might even be cooks or willing to cook it, but it's just not packaged in a way that makes sense for them. Yeah. So that's really intuitive that you see that as a market. Yeah, and then surprise not not surprisingly, but a great market for us has been uh, empty nesters. Has been a huge market for us too. Yep. Yep. So we'll be looking at uh, introducing a family plan in the future. Um, where kids could really get involved. Um, we've we've heard from our consumers that when kids actually help cook, they're willing to taste it and they're excited yeah, to eat. Yeah, right? that is a huge piece of it. And nobody mm-hmm. really has done a meal kit like that. Yeah. And it, yeah. it won't, uh, to, more to that is that it's not just going to be four servings or four people or whatever. It's going to be interactive for the kids. So it's going to help them learn about you know, this ingredient or like this technique or something okay, like that. Okay, I'd give you money for that so because nobody's steps, doing that. Right, yes. Yeah. Certain steps will be colorful for them. Right? And, they're already engaged by what you're doing because it's kind of cool and you're like chopping and you're yes. the noises and the smells and all the sensory stuff. So we're, we're really going to tap into like what are those steps specific for kids that they can do. And as you talk about educating <clears throat> consumers and kids and having a local food system that people can get their mind around. It starts, if you can start it young, I mean, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yes, it definitely does. Okay. So that's all really cool. So um, as we're moving forward, are there, tell me about like some piece of the business that you're just like, wow, we're not really hitting it on all cylinders here. We need to get some focus over here. What is that? Well, digital marketing, like you mentioned, right? That's we're starting to get our arms around that and really focus on that. We've made some some great hires and really excited to focus on that piece. Because it is expensive to a do it, b have the person that knows what they're doing. Because otherwise, you just burn through so much money on the mistakes. Yeah, definitely. There's, I mean, there's so many rabbit holes you could go down, and there's so many different areas you could advertise, right? Yeah. Or, or promote. Um, so there's, we're excited to go down that path. All right. Well, it has been very exciting to talk to you. I am hoping that this all when if you you're, you've got your funding, do you get like the money right away? How does that work? 
Yeah, once you close, everyone has to send in their money, essentially, right, and uh, sign the documents. Um, so that all came through. Yep. And so you've got the money in hand now. Do you have the plan of how to spend it? And then do you like, okay, a year from now we're going to evaluate it? Or yeah, you know, we're I mean, we're evaluating every week, every right? Week. Um, but yeah, definitely. What is that strategy moving forward? How do we expand? What does retail look like? Um, yeah, so we're excited for it. For um, it are you still like you're the chef and I just am curious how often you're actually cooking because you start out doing what you love and then you end up doing all these other things. Uh, not as much as when we started the company. Yeah. Um, and you're not driving around in your snowsuit anymore. No, no. Have a new have a new car, different car, not a new car, but different. Yeah. <laughs> that has heat. Um, and have you guys paid yourselves yet? We, we just, just started. started. And so that was two and a half years in? Yeah. Yep. And that's a big sacrifice that people forget about when you're talking about families. And did you have a family or working spouses or yeah, families? Yeah, support, families, right? um, kids. Both of us have kids. It's so. it's tough, but you have a vision and you you believe in that vision and that product, and you go after it. And we both both of us have said like when we when we decided to make the leap, it didn't really feel that risky. We knew it was a risk, but the plan was pretty solid. Um, and it still is to this day. Didn't you ever, though, feel like just like a total deadbeat? Like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if this is going to go. Like, didn't you have any self-doubt? I think it creeps in. Yeah. It could creep in, but it doesn't last long at all, right? At least for us, it hasn't. Um, again, we've put everything towards it, and we felt very confident. You just identified something that I think people that have listened to a lot of episodes of this podcast, and I was married to a person like you. Mm-hmm. That just complete, like, buy-in of that I'm doing this, I'm going to make this successful, I'm going to sacrifice a lot, my family's going to sacrifice a lot, but I am committed and I am just doing this, I don't have that. It's And when I hear it in you, I've heard it in my spouse, we owned a business and he started it, I have heard mm-hmm. it, I've heard it in Aaron, it's like that thing, that just single, solitary vision and focus and laser to go for it and to not waver is really the hallmark of the entrepreneurs I think that have, that make it. Yeah. And you sacrifice a lot in that singular vision. It becomes sort of selfish at times. Mm-hmm. Um but good for you. I mm-hmm. I hear it in your voice and I have no question that Thank you. I well, think thanks. You know, there's been if you don't have that, I feel like there's been times where we could have went a different path. Yeah. And uh since we believe in it and we're confident in it, that we haven't, right? Well, I just, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank Congratulations. You. Yeah, you Good luck. Thanks. I'm starting a new thing and I'll just be the first to tell you guys. Yeah. So I'm 86 episodes in. And so I've been podcasting now for about a year and a half. And some of these companies have changed so much. Mm-hmm. Like if I would have talked to you a year and a half ago, think how much your story would have changed. Yeah. So throughout the next year, I'm going to be checking in with people that I've podcasted and doing some 15 minute sort of phone updates. So I'm going to check in with you guys in about six months from now. Okay. We'll do a little phone update and see how you're coming. Um, in the meantime, thanks for coming in. It's been great. Sounds Thank good. You. Thank you.